This week on the podcast, we look at South Australia's footy crisis, come up with our Victorian team power rankings, ask whose stock you're buying and selling, uncover a bizarre footy tips trend, and look at the stats behind Brisbane's meteoric rise. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, and I'm joined, as always, by Jake Michaels. Jake, how are you doing over there? I'm terrific. Scribbling away furiously. I am. You've thrown me under the bus with something. I'm just trying to write something down. (laughs) Um, I can't wait for finals, though. The last four weeks of the season seems to drag on forever, so I just want to get it over and done with. It feels like it's actually within touching distance now. That's the voice of Neil Seawang. How was your weekend? My weekend was pretty good. Some great footy. I love the storylines of the caretaker coaches that keep on winning. Um... It's going to be interesting to see if one, two, three... Maybe the D's need a caretaker coach. Maybe they do. If, if Goodwin's <laughs> contract wasn't so long, I reckon he'd be right. wasn't so big. Exactly. <laughs> and Christian Jolly from Champion Data, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. Hey, um, we've got a big week, uh, big week on the podcast, so we might as well get straight into it. It's time for three on three. Um, they both had losses on the weekend, the South Australian teams. It's fair to say they're in crisis uh, both on and off the field. Maybe Port less so on the field. Uh, but Adelaide, after losing to Carlton on the weekend, um, they're in danger of missing the eight, which for their list profile I think is pretty dangerous, Jake. Is their premiership window closing? Is it closed? Is it still open? Where's Adelaide at as a football club? Well, I don't. I think it's closed. Um, it's they, already closed. Yeah. They, they might make the eight, and they probably will. I think you did a... Prediction piece last week, and they you might find have that just on ESPN.com.au, and they yeah, did just sneak I, maybe in. Maybe I should read it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. So they're eighth, but obviously they're not going to win the. They're not winning the flag from eighth since the 2017 Grand Final. That football club has just fallen off the face of the earth. They're they're in disarray. They're and it's not just on field. All the off field drama as well. Watching the Crows, it's pathetic the way they run. You know, they remind me of like. When you used to play sport as a 12-year-old and you'd have the ball, your team would have the ball and everyone would run forward, but as soon as you lost the ball, no one would run back. And they just... People use this term downhill skiers a lot. It's almost as if they're all downhill skiers. Like, when they're going, they're going and and everyone's looking good. But then once once the ball's going the other way, it's just, let's walk back. That's an indictment on on a whole club, isn't it? Because they obviously made the big calls on on Gibbs and, and, and Eddie Betts maybe because they're not so Greenwood. good at the defensive side of the game. But it, I didn't get to watch the, the Carlton game. I'm sure you, you three... They were cut to ribbons. Yeah. They were I've, cut I've, to ribbons yep. at times. And, and Carlton just, um, you know, five or six handballs, and they'd be five or ten metres in front of their direct opponents. It's not just the Carlton goal. game either. Oh, no, of this course This has not. been an ongoing trend. This is really worrying. And, and you mentioned this this morning, Neil. I, I didn't know, but I guess it kind of makes sense. They're the oldest list at the moment. Um, and they're playing like it. They look like it. They need a bit of speed and a bit of youth in that side, but they just don't have it. I remember, do you remember at the start of this year in our one of our first episodes of the podcast, we all talked about who would be the biggest risers this year, and I think it was almost, almost unanimous that it was Adelaide. Maybe, Jake, you were pretty hot on Brisbane, and, and you are proven right with that, but I think the general footy consensus in, in the community was Adelaide are going to be roaring back up the ladder this year after, you know, they got so close to winning the grand final in 2017, they had a shocking year in 18, mm. and I think most people assumed that that was just one bad year and they're going to rock it back up the ladder, but they've been nowhere near it. Yeah, I think Adelaide, for me personally, has been one of those teams I've been the most stubborn about, along with Melbourne. Um, just, again, I, I uh, predicted Adelaide to almost make the grand final, probably pre-season. Um, and it's probably only been the last four or five weeks where I've really sort of started to turn thought. It's just, it's not going to happen. 2017 is not coming back. Um, they, they, you know, they were the best number one scoring side in 2017, 108 points per game. The last two years since, they've gone middle of the table ninth. And as Jake's saying, they're not great defensively. So they're, they're 
greatest strength was scoring and blowing teams off the park. They can't do that anymore. They haven't got the defence right. It was astounding how much they were scoring in 2017. They were cracking 115, 120 every second week and they were almost unstoppable. And the fact they didn't convert it into a flag, it's almost a shame because, like you said, Jake, their window's closing, if not already closed. And some of that ball movement was just unfair. You had Brody Smith, Rory Laird, Seedsman all coming off half-back, kicking to a forward line, which had sort of Taylor Walker as your big anchor point. Jenkins can, you know... He sometimes gets laughed out for how much he gets out the back, but I would rather have a player taking a mark in a goal square than mm. 40 metres out. Eddie Betts around their feet, all Tom that Lynch. sort of stuff. It, mm. it, it just And all those guys are still there. Well, that's just, the thing. That's what I find most staggering, is that if you look at that sign that played in the 2017 Grand Final and the, and the, the team that they've still got, it's pretty much the same. The only one I can think off the top of my head is Charlie Cameron. He's he's gone to the Lions. Source at the moment, Jacobs. I mean, it's not it's not that different. Like it's not as if they've lost ten of their like the dogs after they won their flag. They just lost a heap of players. Um, it's it's remarkable. It I'll, really is. Can I just play devil's advocate for a minute? I mean, the Crows aren't travelling that that well at the moment. But talk of crisis and whatnot. They're eighth. Like I mean. It's a I, good wouldn't, place to be I, I wouldn't mind supporting today. a club that is on its absolute knees and in crisis if it and it's sitting eighth and possibly might host an elimination final. So are we being too harsh on them? Oh, no, because I think the expectations were with the the list profile that they have that they would be doing a lot better than what they are. And I think and, I think we generally will look at the last five six weeks and they've been horrific in the last few weeks. And um, this is the time of the year where you've got to start getting hot and we talk about Richmond and Brisbane starting to find form or finding real form and, and Adelaide's gone the opposite mm. direction. And it begs a really big question at the end of the season as to which way the Crows go. I mean, surely they, they now have to start looking at the list and, and looking at a potential rebuild or, or starting uh, with, with a, a lot younger um, players, you know, your Fogarty's who are in the twos, your Himmelbergs, these sort of blokes instead of your Jenkins, your Taylor Walkers, maybe your Tom Lynch's. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot of harsh questions because a few of those guys signed contracts not too long ago. So the Crows have a few uh, questions to add. Well, isn't that interesting, um, just segueing to their uh, the Port Adelaide Footy Club? That's exactly what they did last year, didn't they? They, they took a, a little bit of a, a direction that you just talked about what the Crows might do in that they, they stripped it back. They brought in three first-round draft picks and having previously topped up with a few recycled players, I think Port... They're in a better spot because they, they're ninth and they may still play finals, but the fact that they've actually injected a little bit of youth into that team is a really good thing. Correct. So I think I, I give Port a pass. I think they have been frustrating week by week because they show you signs one week where they just look like a top four side and the next week they might fall over to a team they're expected to win. But again, looking at the age profile, I think they're the 10th oldest on average this year and comparing that to Adelaide who was second oldest on average across the season. So again, they're, they're in a different sort of space to Adelaide. Um, I, I give give Port Adelaide a pass to sort of be around the finals mark is probably where they expected to be with this list, I would have thought. So then we are talking about um, SA footy as a whole sort of being a little bit in crisis. And that that's clearly an off-field thing for Port Adelaide because you've got um, people like the chairman, David Koch, who comes out and says that the expectation for this side is still finals. But to me, I mean, where they are now is an accurate reflection of where that list is at. Like you said, you know, the you know the, the the Rosies and the Butters and the Dersmers and the Drews have all played. Well, that's the difference though between Port and and the Crows. But is then that... why is Koshy coming out and saying that that finals is is the is the the benchmark that Port Adelaide needs to be? I think there's a bit of old world um, Sandful kind of Carlton sort of stuff where it's like we're this team that's so successful we need yeah. to be successful all the time and it's damaging Ken Hinckley's reputation. It's damaging Port Adelaide as a football club and this is why we're talking about them in the same breath as Adelaide. Well, we saw the same thing with the Saints, didn't we? They came out and said we need to be top four, top eight. And it's mm. like sometimes you've got to be more realistic with what you can do with what, what the list you've got. But as you say, the Crows are old and they've got no young players and the young players they have are playing in the twos. But 
Port, for pretty much the whole year, have been playing uh, Butters, Rosie, and Dersma in their side. They've played a few pretty others, much yeah. every game. So it's like, you know, they've got the youth. And I think most people would agree that those three players are going to be real solid players for them. Um, so I'm not as I'm not as down on Port. They've been frustrating. But if you looked at their, their record, they're just frustrating because they beat good teams. As you said, Chris, they beat good teams and then they lose to poorer teams that you think they should beat. So that's why I think people get frustrated. If they if they had gone the opposite way and just beaten the teams they should beat and lost to the teams you'd think they'd lose to, you'd say, yeah, Port's had a pretty good year. So looking at both clubs, it, it, are either coaches under um, like immediate pressure of not coaching next year? Aren't they're both contracted. There seems like there's rumbling above Ken Hinckley um, with the chairman. And I think there's a little bit of pressure building on uh, Don Pike as well. So are we seeing them both coaching next year and just seeing how that year plan, pans out? Sure, surely they both coach next year. If I had to pick one who's under more pressure, I would have to say Don Pike's under more pressure. Yeah, I and, agree with and that. And he might, he might decide um, at the end of the year that if Adelaide does want to go down the path of sort of starting again, that it might be fair enough for him and Adelaide to part ways. I mean, that's the sort of reality that we're at in the football world now where clubs and coaches come together and they discuss sort of this sort of stuff in order to get... Um, rebuilds onto the right track early. So I'm going to say Pike would be under more pressure at this point. I agree, 100%. He's he's the one that had that chance to win a grand final. They didn't quite get there. And since then, it's just, they've just been falling down. And, and again, they're, they're not getting any younger. And I, I don't expect them to be... You know, if, if, they're, if they're struggling to make the eight this year, then where are they going to be next year? Mm. Hey, we touched on SA footy. Let's turn our attention to uh, Victoria now. Because... We're at a bizarre point of the season where if you looked at all of the Victorian teams, and we're going to try and rank them into power rankings, Neil, uh, where we're going to look at... at bringing the power rankings back to ESPN. Bring the power rankings back. It was my favourite column a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, but we're going, to, we're going to try and rank the Victorian clubs based on how we think they're going in the last five or so weeks. Yep. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that Richmond's number one on this list. By far. By I far. think so, yeah. <laughs> Streets ahead. And then you could probably say the Bombers next, having been undefeated, I think, in those five weeks. So this is, yeah, so a five week period. Yeah. yeah, I think the bombers they are. And, and which is crazy because they've been under banned significantly and they've they just keep winning. And th- and this is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets it, a bit interesting. You could almost unanimously say Richmond and then a fair gap Essendon and then a fair gap between whoever we want to come in third. Who do you have third on the power rankings list, Jake? Well, they haven't been going great, but they've they've probably had got the wins and, and they've had the luxury of being able to stumble a little bit because they had such a great start. I'd probably still go Geelong third, but not not far ahead of Carlton, to be completely honest. I've got Carlton third on the list. I think Carlton's so last record five in, weeks yep. has been more impressive than Geelong's last five weeks. So what are, what are they in four the and like, one. Four and one. In that time. Yeah. They've, and they're playing attacking, exciting footy. Um, it's good to watch. All, all their good players are playing well, which is a hallmark of a good team. So, um, it, I mean, that's where I've got them. And then I've got the Cats fourth. St Kilda under Brett Ratton. I mean, the rejuvenation. I mean, do we have him as high as fifth, perhaps, on on that list? Interesting. I had St Kilda a a couple of places lower than that. I had the Western Bulldogs and Hawthorne above them. I I reckon this pack of maybe teams uh, fifth to, to eighth, you could almost throw a blanket over them. I found it really hard to split them. And there's one notable omission so far, and that's a a team that's fighting for a, a top four spot. Who we thought was every chance to win the flag. Is Collingwood the worst team in Victoria right now? Well, let's just say that if if they could field a twenty-two of injured injured players, a good point. You know, it would probably go up and beat just about anyone. Um, so they've got a crazy injury list, but given the the team that they can actually they actually are putting out week in week out, they they just about are. 
In okay. terms of power rankings, I, I'd yeah. As crazy as it sounds, because they were my preseason prediction to win the grand final, Collingwood, and they just they just can't do it now. Neil, so, you're a Melbourne supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you have Melbourne in, in relation <laughs> to Collingwood? I had Melbourne last. Right. I had Colling- but only a hair's breadth between them and Collingwood, um, and Collingwood being second last. And it's staggering how how poorly Collingwood have played in the last six weeks or so since the bye. And obviously injuries. No one likes to use injuries as an excuse, but injuries can be used as a reason. So mm. the fact that they do have like almost like a best eighteen players out, which could almost compete with their current team shows how far down on their knees they are in terms of player availabilities. But also structurally, I think they haven't gone into some games as well as they possibly so you, could have. You were reporting at the game um, against uh, Richmond um, yes. for us. What did you make of, of Collingwood? I know it was wet conditions. Um, they just, they're really struggling in their front half. Um, I, I sort of, I mentioned in, in the piece that I wrote that when sort of Richmond looked, looked like going forward, they were assured and, and they were dangerous. Whereas Collingwood, there was sort of a bit more trepidation and they were more hopeful whenever they went inside 50. And it was it was chalk and cheese night and day between what the Tigers were producing it? and what the Pies were producing. What was your nickname for the Tigers? Uh, what was my nickname <laughs> for the Tigers? Oh, the Tiger Tidal Wave. The Tiger Tidal Wave. The we're handball meters gain stat from yeah. uh, last week's podcast. It was, uh, it was very good. That might catch on. Christian, can you kind of... Uh, bring stats into the equation about <laughs> about our powering. Yep. So I just looked at the form ladder from rounds fifteen and nineteen. So exactly what you the time period you're talking about. And again, percentage is always a great indicator of how you're going and how you might go in the future. Collingwood sitting at seventy one point seven percent in that time. Uh, that's fourteen percent below any other Victorian club. And the next lowest wow. is Melbourne. You're correct. So they're both at one four on their records. But yeah, Melbourne it's sort of sitting around eighty six percent. And yeah. Collingwood down at 71.7. So just going from top down to bottom. So you got Richmond clear top 5 and 0, Essendon second. Bulldogs are actually sitting third on the form ladder 4 and 1, a Victorian sides and Carlton even with them 4 and 1. Uh Geelong and Hawthorne in your next two both at 3 and 2. Then North Melbourne and St Kilda. So St Kilda's actually third last. So I was going to sort of jump in early and say mm. I think St Kilda are being a bit clad about they've had pretty good We're last, two weeks. last two good. weeks. Exactly. Been but good the three wins. weeks leading into that, which is where Richardson yes. lost his job, they weren't great. So using using the last five weeks, they're sort of still third last. But yeah, Collingwood a clear last going by the numbers. Amazing. There you go. And and they will still probably make finals. Well they'll make finals, but it's It'll hard be to an elimination do final. Damage, unless they got twelve players back. Who knows? Maybe the, maybe the the buy will be like the Bulldogs when they got all those players back that helped mm. that extra week and, and they can you know they might go they might finish seventh and gamble on a couple it. of players and see what they can what they can do. Who Plus, knows? obviously, speaking of gambling, Jaden Stephenson back for finals as well. <laughs> Very good. And I was also <laughs> going to say, speaking of gambling, we're going to look at the uh, the footy stock market <laughs> for our next segment, and that's. We're going to sort of say, whose stock are you buying and selling going into next year? Maybe not quite gambling, but uh, we are sort of going to look ahead a little bit. If you had to pick one player, Neil, whose stock you're going to buy heading into next year, who you think is really going to have a bit of an uptick next year, who is it going to be? Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to go for someone who um, Christian has talked up all year. And I watched, I've watched him a couple of times and, and saw the whole game against Melbourne. Rowan Marshall, St Kilda Ruckman. I... I wrote about this before the game as well. It was going to be a big chance to to see exactly how far he'd progressed when he came up against Gorn. And I think he would have at least broken even, and some would almost argue that he that he beat Gorn. And I think it was a really big marker for how good he can become. Um, I know that as a junior he played forward, and, and St Kilda have, um, I guess, thrown him into the ruck mix because he's, he does have those attributes, and they maybe have some tall targets that they don't need him. But the fact that he's only learning the ropes as a ruckman, I'm, I'm buying his stock, and I reckon he 
instead of just having Gorn and Grundy at the very top from next year on, I reckon there'll be a big three next year. Not a bad shout. Jake, who are you buying stocks in? Well, i got two players. Um, That's not fair. You're buying stocks in one player. No, you can, I can <laughs> split my money. Um, so the two players, I think this is a clear one. I don't think this is any surprise at all, but Sam Walsh, I don't know how you could not buy stock in this guy. He is elite. He's going to play three. I, I'm going to make a prediction. I think he's going to play 350 games. I, I feel like he's going to be a durable player that's going to play a lot of football. Um, and I was just saying to Matt Burr before this, it's crazy to see his improvement from game one, two, three, or whatever to even this week. I, I don't. I'm so excited to see where he's at this time next year, and then three or four years down the track. He could win a Brownlow medal. He could. He could. He's a serious, serious player. And obviously, there's high raps on him. He's probably going to win the Rising Star. But you know, he's going to be. He's going to be a supreme talent. So I think the biggest thing with Sam Walsh. Um, so I look at a lot of the tracking numbers as well. And he's. I think he's in the top ten for distance covered this year per game. So for a young guy to already be in the top fifty is probably a fair effort. To be in the top ten best runners and to be able to find the footy at the same time. It's just mm. the sky's the limit for him. Sort of thing. Absolutely. I was, I was saying to you before uh, the podcast. Jake about how he is a very smart footballer as well. He doesn't just run all day and he gets to good spots and as soon as he dishes off the ball or, or delivers the ball, he's thinking where's the next best spot that I can be yeah. in to help the team and, and to get another one touch. Of the, one of the biggest things I like about him is that extra half second he takes to release the ball. It's it's not that panic disposal. He sort of just, he does wait to that the guy he's about to handball to just to get that extra step past the defender. It's, yeah. that, it's that little sort of hesitation that he has in and his game. And that's something I reckon I've noticed he's Maybe in the first couple of games, he might have rushed just a fraction, but he's slowed down and, and again, just learning okay. so quick. This isn't a Carlton podcast. <laughs> Let's get to your second player, Jack. Second one, I'll be quick. Uh, Josh Dunkley. I mean, he's another player that's just had a really good year, but, I, again, still flying under the radar at the Dogs. I think he could become just about their best player. I know they got the bond. I know everyone loves the bond, but this guy is a Norton. serious talent. Mm. Christian, who are you buying stocks in? Well, yeah, I wrote down two names as well, so I've cheated. And they're sort of different ends of the spectrum. So one of the guys I'm buying, I think he is rated in the in the competition, but I don't know if he gets rated enough. Zach Williams up at GWS, one of the best running defenders. Can probably pinch it in the midfield and uh, half forward as well, which he's done in the past. Good call. Again, I think, he, I think he is highly rated, but I think he needs to be in the conversation of probably one of the best five general defenders, if not top All three. Australian so chance this year? I would have thought so. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one I'm buying, uh, Shy Bolton at Richmond. So we all love Sydney Stack, and everyone sort of a lot of a lot of the spotlight goes to him. There'll be a few but, stocks bought in Sydney Stack here and there, I'd imagine. Correct, Stack but stocks. I think Shy Stacks Bolton's on one that's uh, flying under the radar at the moment. Um, he's been there for two years. They picked him up the year after they won the premiership. Um, don't think he played many games in his first year. He's starting to get a few games now. Again, this is a huge call, but. His ceiling, I think, is Michael Walters-like. He can play that that small forward, pinch it in the midfield. He has been a ball winner as a junior. And Who's yeah, Michael I was... Walters? I feel like everyone's forgotten about him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, haven't, I haven't mentioned his name for probably two weeks on the podcast. So I thought I'd get it up there. But yeah, he's probably one I'd be looking at, thinking that Richmond, have, again, looking at Richmond's list, they've got a, a million small forwards that are, that are like him. You could probably get him for a bit cheaper. Good call. I like that nomination, yeah. Yeah, um, well, with, without making it a Carlton podcast again, <laughs> my nomination is going to be Will Setterfield. Obviously, a top five pick in his draft year was highly touted by both the Giants and a few other teams at the time. Uh, had that ACL injury, was then shipped to Carlton for a second round pick. Uh, he's just starting to show, I think, what, what people and recruiters, uh, why recruiters rated him so highly, especially in his draft year. And I think he's one to watch out for for next year, for, for sure. If we're selling stock, if we're going the other way, Jake, I'm going to go this way first. Who are we selling? You're choosing two again? Well, again, I got two. <laughs> oh, I got five. No, I got two. Um, these might be controversial. 
First one is Tim Kelly. I, I, most wow. people right now would, would be a... surprised by that. But sell you've got to think about the... Mm. You sell high. You know, he's... Right now, he's the second favourite to win the Brownlow medal. I mean, you don't... You can't really get him. much higher than that. I'm it's selling him because I don't think he's going to be... I don't think he can get much better. I don't see how he can get any much better. If he does go to Freo, you know, he'll be... Yes, Fife will be there. Um, but we know Fife has has he's, has had his injury troubles. I, I'd really which like is to, to his credit too. I, we're not we're not disparaging by any, by any stretch. We're saying like he's he's been that he's a good. Star, yeah. yeah. But I'd love to see how he goes with the full attention every week. Um, so he's the other one, and the other one I'd sell, and this would be also controversial, is Alex Rance. Whoa. I, I don't know how he's going to go. And again, he's a Wouldn't superstar. You buy now player. when he's injured? No, his because might be a bit lower. Because right now people would still say he's the best defender in the comp. When he comes back after 12 months, he's still going to be regarded and, and seen as the best defender in the comp. His stock is so high right now. Nobody's saying he's now the 15th best defender because he's injured. His stock is as high as it'll be. So how, how old is he? Uh, he'll be 29? thirty. He'll be thirty before next year. Oh, it might be an okay call from you, Jake. So we'll we'll have to see how he goes. Mm. Christian, if uh, if you're selling uh, stocks in someone, who are you selling? Yeah, so I, I've come with two names, but I'm only offering up one. <laughs> so I'm selling one of the Crouches. Brad or Matt? Uh, I know. I know. A couple of weeks ago, we flagged the idea of sending them both up to Gold Coast, and you know, in our dream trade scenarios. Uh, but just looking at those two players, so we know they could both find the footy. They're both elite disposal winners. Um, but I mean, Brad Crouch is above average for clearances per game. Matt Crouch is average, um, and they're both only average for midfielders for contested possessions per game. So again, let's let's bring Carlton into the discussion somehow. But Paddy Cripps in his last two games against Adelaide's won thirty six clearances against him. And Adelaide as a team's won 59 in those two games. So it, it almost <laughs> highlights the fact that they, they did, do need another inside yeah. ball. And these two Crouch brothers, yeah, they're getting a lot of the ball, but they're probably not bringing the strength to so the inside. So which one are you selling? Well, that's what I mean. I offer them both up. And I, personally, I'd probably go, I'd probably sell Brad first. But again, you'd, you'd put them up and just see what you get from it. Maybe, maybe the Ds need to speak to the Crows about uh, swapping some more outside players for some more inside players, Neil. Possibly, yeah. Well, I, I raised the, um, the Gus Brayshaw trade. Uh, early this year, um, yeah, you're just about. He's popped into my mind now of a possible sell. <laughs> you but, want to sell half the team now? <laughs> yeah, can I sell? But who are you? Who are you selling so for? Who are you <laughs> of so this is very much on on the, a similar vein of what um, what Christian just said. I I'm selling Rory Sloan. So I think they they do have issues in that midfield. But Rory Sloan is just about to turn thirty. He does. He's never ever dealt with a tag. I think he's rated really highly throughout the whole industry. Too high. But I, I don't think he's actually a game-changing midfielder, but you might be able to actually, if the Crows wanted to trade him, they, they might get something really good um, from him. So I'll be selling stocks in, in him. Was don't he, think was, he's going to have a long career. Don't think he's going to play deep into his 30s, Rory Sloan. Yeah, he's, he, he looks like he's, his game he's style is... battled a yeah. lot. Yeah. Was he your overrated player from last week too? He yeah, was. might have been. He was. I'm not anti. I love the way he plays. I hate Rory Sloan. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry Rory, if you're listening. <laughs> did, did I think Rory Sloan might have knocked back a Melbourne contract three or four he years, did. if my memory yes. serves me correct? <laughs> yeah, so. Bitterness <laughs> maybe uh, emanating from the uh, side of the table. Um, I'm <clears> selling <throat> stocks in Luke Parker. He's only 26, but I think the Swans as, as a whole are starting to go down a little bit. And I think without some of the more mature bodies that he's had around that midfield in the past... You, you know, your Kennedys, your Jacks, um, your Hanabrys, all these sorts of players. You don't like when I sort of say plurals on names, do you, Jack? Well, there's only, there's only one. Well, there's a couple of Kennedys. There's two Josh Kennedys. <laughs> yeah, but there's only one at that team. My, the apolo- Crouchers, my apologies. The Crouchers are the only one you can do it for. <laughs> um, but I think that Luke Parker, 
he might have hit his ceiling as well in terms of productivity in That's the midfield. Fair. Although he does push forward a bit, but I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm hesitant to buy stocks in him, so I'm more likely to want to sell stocks. I've, in him. I've always been a big Luke Parker fan, but even that surprised me when we went and we we googled his age before he stepped into the pre pod. And similar to when I heard Annabry's age last year, 26. He just he looks and seems to have gone through a lot more. Yeah, he's been, yeah, he's been through a lot more than a normal 26 mm. year old would have in his footy career. Mm. Well, he played in a grand final his first year, did he? Maybe second, uh, second, second year. Yeah. yeah. Couple of quick ones, one word answers around the table before we do move on. What are you doing about Tom Lynch at the Tigers? Buying or selling stock? Uh, I'd hold. I wouldn't do either. I'm the same. I'll hold. If I'm Richmond, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I'd, I'd hold. I'd, I'd, oh, yeah, I'm happy to buy. He's <laughs> yeah. gonna he's gonna get better and better. I reckon. I mean, next year next year is when everyone really expected him to start moving up. But mm. I'm buying stock in Tom Lynch now while I can. Uh, Tom Mitchell coming back from a leg injury. I'd buy. I think people have forgotten how good he is. Will he be as good as he was in the Brownlow year? I think he will because he's the same kind of player. He, he's a good runner. He's a good mover. He, he obviously racks up the ball um, and he sets up a lot of their play. So I, and I don't think the way he plays is so... He's not the Rory Sloan, Joel Selwood type where he's crashing in, but he does win a lot of balls. So no, I think he's going to be have a good year next year. One word answers, please. Uh, Aaron Norton. Well, you, you asked me for, to explain. <laughs> I'm buying Aaron Norton. I, I love... Anyone who can take a, a strong contested mark, I've, I I love, and the fact that he's he's a, he's effectively a first year key forward because he played all his junior footy as a defender, and he got he's just he's a little bit inconsistent as most key forwards are, but I think his scope to improve is still pretty significant. Jordan Degoe. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm selling. You're well, that's selling? interesting. Why? I'm going to hold on to Goey. Yeah. I'm I think the same thing. I think from the conversation we had about 10 weeks ago, is he the best player in the competition? He's still Joking. got that air about him of he is a match winner. And it, and again, all that talk might be right, but I just think, yeah, his, his value is probably really, really high at mm. the moment. His value might be higher than what he what he's actually worth. Yeah, that's probably fair. Josh Kennedy. Which one? Both. <laughs> I'd sell them both, I think. I'm selling both. Lockie Neal? Oh, where can I sign? I want to buy as much Neal as I can. Um... Lincoln McCarthy, um, selling. Yeah, it's an interesting one. H- hitting his peak. I th- I'm not sold on him as a player. I think he's had got, a, got a really nice story behind him. Couldn't couldn't get on the park with injuries at Geelong. Had a great start at the Lions. So I'm just not sure where his where his peak's going to be. I'd almost buy him, and he's similar to a player I've mentioned before on this podcast, Sam Lloyd. When you look at McCarthy and what he does quality wise, he's a, he's a great stats player. He's, he gets a lot of effectiveness out of his kicks and going inside 50 and his score involvements and things like that. So I'd buy Fair enough. I reckon we could do this almost all day, but we should probably <laughs> move on. How about stat with champion data? Uh, Brisbane does look destined to secure the double chance. Uh, and while everyone seems to just be enjoying their newfound success, we thought we'd task Christian with finding out just exactly what they're doing and if it can stack up in September. So, Christian, tell us about the Lions. Yeah, and the more I looked into the numbers, the more I've got to say they they are the real deal this You're year. You're convinced. So I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you the reasons why. So, currently, they're third on the ladder. They've got the fourth best percentage, um, and they're second for points four behind Geelong. So, all of those, you know, three basic numbers stack tick, up. Tick, tick, To, you know, top four, so prelim at least. Um, they've won six games in a row um, at... at Current stage, they've only that's only the fifth time since their merger that they've strung at least six wins or more in a row. Um, they last won six in a row uh, from finals two thousand and three up until round three two thousand and four. So that includes wow, the grand final victory. Pretty fertile patch here, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, and the last time they've won six in a row in the same season was rounds fifteen to twenty one in two thousand and two. So premiership season for them there as well. That's incredible. I mean, I know we're talking about them a lot, but are they getting enough credit? Because when you mm. like, that's a long time. I think I think 
I think they are belatedly getting enough. I think mm. the footy industry and, and fans have just started to wake up maybe in the last fortnight. I think that's a very think, good point. Yeah, I feel I think, like I, I, I feel Brisbane's a little bit different. I feel like people have been a bit hesitant to jump on. Uh, yeah, It's almost like me. protecting him, thinking, well, you know, let's not praise too much people. Let's just let them find their feet that's first. How I feel. Yeah, sim- similar to that. It's almost like it they, the public's sort of been waiting for them to just falter and lose a couple in a row and just be like, oh, look, still growing, you know, they still haven't. a young team. But they but haven't. They keep and and maybe you're right. Maybe now it's just the time where everyone's going, oh, hold on, maybe they can win the flag. Yeah. So it's these uh, little numbers here that just show you sort of how well it's going to stack up for them. So time in forward half, they're ranked third at plus four minutes 39. Uh, they're number one for creating forward half stoppages um, and third for scoring points from those. Third for forward half intercepts and second from creating points from their forward half intercepts. So to rank top three in all of those sort of forward half stats, that's what we call sustainable footy. That's getting your systems in place and sort of making it impossible for one team to go end-to-end against you. Is that a stat that's become a bit more uh, prevalent in maybe more so this year is forward half intercepts? I see this mentioned a lot no, it's, over it's, the last couple of it, um, months. It's probably grown recently in terms of all 18 clubs are really... You know, I can only assume they're all starting to look at it more heavily. But it, it really started about round, uh, sorry, around 2010, 2011. So Mick Malthouse, Ross Lyon days, they were doing it so much better than the rest of the comp. And then slowly the rest of the comp is sort of caught up to where Collingwood almost was in 2010. But it is exactly that. Um, you look at what we sort of look at premiership signatures. You need to be high up in these in these sort of stats. You need to be top four at least to mm. be a chance to win the premiership. That's what history uh, sort of suggests. And Brisbane being top three in each of those. Uh, so they average 27.3 disposals per goal, which is equal first with West Coast. So again, playing that sort of you know high octane footy, just get it and go. Not none of this you know chipping around and going slow and trying to protect themselves. They, they just are, look so dangerous when they go inside. Correct, and it's know. something they've done for the last four years. So even when they were struggling, you could always watch a Brisbane game and just know that it was going to be open because Brisbane were always on the attack, even when they were you know getting belted <laughs> by 100 points. <laughs> Um, they never sort of shut games down, so they've kept that mindset, and then you know fixed the other side. So of is things. that a little? So I love everyone loves watching the way they play. They're very attacking. Um, they they move the ball quickly and then hold it in there. But is is that sustainable? If they're only a great attacking team, is that sustainable through finals? Well, yes, because they've actually fixed their issue down the other end. So just a quick snapshot of defensively. So they had their buy in round thirteen. So rounds 1 to 12, they were 11th for points against, so, you know, 84.5 uh, points conceded per game. So I think they were probably the second most of any top eight side for points conceded. Um, since their buy, since they come back round 13 and they're conceding 65.2 points per game, which is the fewest of any team. Wow. So not only are they playing that attacking footy, they're sort of not letting the opposition score. This is sounding very good for, for and, Lions fans. And the other thing that, you know, you just got to... You look at this one number and you just think, geez, Chris Fagan's a genius. How has he done this? But well, you can't throw he, the genius tag oh, around. Hold on. He, but he came, he came from uh, the, another line. The other genius yeah. in Al Clarkson. <laughs> yes, he did. So um, tell me. So looking at um, them protecting their turnovers. So from rounds 1 to 12, they were the easiest side to score against from turnover. So 21% of the time you could score against them, which ranked 18. So they weren't turning the ball over a lot, you know, but that was probably their, the one issue. They were still you know, going well, but that didn't stack up with what a, what a premiership signature would look like. Since the buy, they're actually being scored against from 13.6% of their turnovers. That's number one. So, that's so a, to be able to go from a, 18th to first, uh, so almost wise. 8, 7.5%. So 21% down to 13 That's unbelievable. Well, mm. that's the most remarkable thing is that they've... 18th to first. And he deserves a lot of credit, Fagan, and yeah. the whole coaching staff, because they identified that as, as you say, we, I remember we spoke about this around the bye weeks, and they identified this as being 
their yeah. weakness, if you they like. They were strong from clearances, scoring from clearances. Yeah. They were scoring well from turnovers, but they weren't protecting their own turnovers. So it was it was almost the fourth part of their game. They were scoring well from clearances, defending clearances, scoring from intercepts, but not defending intercepts. Now you can put a tick next to defending intercepts. So they got, you know, the four main ticks that but you it's need. it's one thing to identify, but it's another thing to actually go out and, and be able to do it. And yes. do it so and, well. And, and get to first, exactly. You usually that's see crazy. a team go from 18th to fourth and think oh yeah that's great but yeah to get to the best in the comp the turnaround is Unreal. remarkable yeah so yep. if so we're saying like uh, we they can definitely win the premiership this year correct there's 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 sort of no number I've stumbled across to go oh there's their problem oh this is how you get brisbane um so a few more I'll throw at you so contested possessions they're winning 3.3 more per game so that's only seventh in the comp so nothing uh, outstanding about that but the one thing for brisbane is it's the first time they've been in the positive for contested possessions across the season since 2004 so this yeah. has been a, made a grand final. It's year. almost a generational issue for Brisbane. They have not been able to win contested. So 20. when you say when you say is that a differential of plus? Correct. Yeah. So that they're winning more contested possessions than their opposition per game. So that's what you aim to do because yeah. you know balls in a contest, either either team can win it. Um, so yeah, to be in the positive of that for the first time in fifteen years, they're also so going back to the two stats I was just talking about. So they're in in the points. Uh, sorry, in the positive for points scored from intercepts, and that's the first time since two thousand and nine. And they're in the positive for points scored from clearances, which is their first time since 2007. So, so there's three numbers that have always probably held that team back, um, whether it was under Lepage, Foss, and then Fagan when he started. All three of them have sort of turned around to be in the positive. And, yeah. so th- those numbers are, are remarkable. And they almost, in my mind, dispel any doubts I've got about whether they're actually a, a premiership fan, a chance this year. My, my query is going to be, are they experienced enough to play to play finals? It seems like they're playing great footy. They've got great systems in place, but are they going to be able to handle the September heat because they're probably an inexperienced finals team? Well, this is what I hear a lot. People are saying that, and it's fair enough. But I but I think we've seen in recent years that you don't really need the experience. Um, like look at the Dogs and then the Tigers. Like you don't probably need it as much as people thought. Having said that, there's nine players on their list that have played finals. Really. Which is uh, remarkable. I don't think many people would think that. There's nine players, so it's not as if they don't have experience. And obviously, Luke Hodge has a wealth of experience, and he's going to be critical for them when they go into September. Um, so I, I don't think that's if that's the if that's the one concern people have. I think you can forget about that. I think they've they've got enough experience, and I think they play the sort of game style where it's like. Don't think they really care. Like I think they can just get on with it, and they play, and they can score heavily. They score quickly. They're going to be really tough to beat. And the names that have played finals, they're pretty decent names too. I mean, you look at Mitch Robinson, Lockie Neal, um, obviously Hodges. Well, we all know what Missed Hodges done. September, pretty much. Um, Daniel Rich would he've played in a final? I reckon maybe, maybe when his he first was, year. Maybe in his first year. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure Josh Walker's played in a final. Jared Lyons, Charlie Cameron. So uh, the, it's not like yeah, yeah the, the the names are sort of there, and they have had. Uh, experience in September f- before, so you make a good point, Jake. That everyone's sort of saying, "Oh, but you know, they, they haven't played September for so long; they'll be, you know, under the pump and all that sort of stuff." Half the team that that's trotted out on game day has played in September action. Yeah, and I guess you can uh, you can even look back to last year. Even though Melbourne's wheels have fallen off this year, they came into September with no zero, pretty much zero finals experience apart from Jordan Lewis, and they blew um, Geelong and Hawthorne off the park. So who obviously had impossible. mountains of experience. Yeah. So, yeah, it just goes to show you don't need to have, I guess, too much experience in, in the Lions. All I'm seeing, whenever you're reading out these stats, is just green tick, 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 tick in terms of winning a premiership. Correct, and it's all different facets of the game. So. Talk about a fairy tale. If they if they win it, that's going to be right up there with the Dogs winning it and, and the Tigers. Is it Tigers. bigger than the Dogs? 
No, because the dogs have only won one. I think the fact that they've they had a they, they came from a, so low. Yeah, and I love the fact that that they a, a success starved club won it, whereas the Lions have had the three peat recently. You know, in recent recently. Memory. <laughs> oh, you know. yeah. Hey, uh, don't mind that. Uh, so, in terms of buying stocks, I think we're all buying stocks in the Lions, yep. aren't we? <laughs> uh, we should move on. I've had a gutful. Jake, I'm excited for this rant. What have you had a gutful of this week? Well, we talk about like the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again but I think Nathan Buckley he's just becoming too stubborn with this whole Mason Cox experiment now it's not this isn't a criticism of Cox but it's fair to say he's gone backwards now Neil your preseason prediction was he would become an A grader and and obviously that hasn't quite happened not quite not quite <laughs> not quite he looks he's but he's gone backwards I think yeah. he's gone backwards from where he was and this you could actually make the argument this is probably his worst season he looks that like he's a played. first year player again. yeah and I know he's missed missed some games earlier in the year but he's really really struggling and what I f- found fascinating was that with the pies almost desperate they, they were desperate for a win and, and I think the loss to the Tigers now I mean they can't win the flag because they're not going to be top four so they were desperate for a win coming up, up against a fast speedy Richmond outfit at the MCG in a wet weather game and you still play Cox I just think that was a recipe for disaster and I think Buckley's just falling back into that 2016-17 stubbornness where he's not trying he's trying to just persist with stuff and I know they've got so many injuries and he's probably thinking well if he doesn't play then who who's coming in but I just feel like you've got to try something else because Cox just is not working this year I think that's the problem I don't, I don't know what else they try if you sort of look at their VFL if 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 the thinking was we need to have that one key forward and we don't count Brody Brianchek as he's maybe more really of a hybrid. A forward, yeah. So, again, playing in the wet weather, you probably didn't need a key forward, but I feel like they, they had to play one. So Mason Cox is basically the only fit key forward they have on their list. There's none sort of coming through in the VFL team at the moment. The only other thing you can do is, you know, maybe move a defender forward and try something different. You know, Richmond sort of problem did it with is Asprey like for a game or so. Fallen over as well. Correct. So I think that's the problem. Is there was no clear replacement? They for should Mason have gone Cox. small. They should have, with those conditions. I mean, Mason Cox has been so out of form all year, and with, when it started pouring with rain in Melbourne through that whole Friday, surely, surely Buckley would have been better off saying to Mason, "Look, this is no slight on you, but we're going to go smaller here. We're just going to try something different because it, it probably wouldn't work in dry weather, let, let alone the conditions." We're well, just watching him run around there. I mean, he's just. No knock on the big fella, but he's just so slow the way he moves around. And, and you know, when you've got all those fast Richmond players around his feet, it, it was just, it was almost comical. But not even that. Like, to add insult to injury, you looked at his direct opponent in Tom Lynch down the other end, direct opponent, his opposite number down the other end in Tom Lynch, picking balls up, you know, like it was... Dominated a, the it was game. A, it was a bar of soap out there, and Lynch is below his knees, you know, looking amazing, and then Cox could barely get near the footy all night. It was, like you said, I don't think it's Cox's fault, but... Um, well, it's not to... Cox's fault because he's picked and he plays, but yeah, yeah I, I just don't think he should have played in that game. Buckley needed to pull a Chris Scott and say it's time for a laid out. And the three votes goes to... Um, I'm not willing to give out a full three votes this week, so oh. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm happy to give out two, uh, and I'm very happy for them both. Um, umpire Eleni Gluftsis and uh, now fiancé Dylan T got engaged at the MCG after they both worked the same football match on the weekend. Apparently that's the first time that they'd ever worked together in the AFL. Um, it was a really nice moment. Uh, he took her out to the middle and apparently told her that they need to take a photo for the umpires association because they'd you know played their first uh, umpired their first game together. Um, That's very sweet. Uh, yeah, but he gets to the middle and then pulls out a ring and gets on one knee, and it was a, a lovely little moment that they shared after the game. Uh, and I'm all for that. I think that's a very lovely and romantic thing to do. So there's no three votes here, though. I'm taking a vote off because the very next night, Channel 7 News at 6 o'clock 
what do I see but Eleni and Dylan in the middle of a vineyard celebrating in front of the Channel 7 cameras? What's going on? Can't we have a, a private uh, engagement anymore? I mean, why do we have to go to the, the press like this? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you reckon he was running around with the ring all day? Imagine I really hope not. Wristband the whole game. <laughs> Imagine if he looked in there at halftime and gone, oh no. Gone. He's just <laughs> flicking through the grass. <laughs> so you reckon they didn't need to go through down Media Street after they got engaged? Uh, no. I mean, what's who needs to go down that. Media Street after that? I mean, the, the lovely part of it was it was posted on Twitter and Facebook you know, um, candidly. I mean, obviously, they didn't know the cameras were trained on them, the, the Fox footy cameras after, after the game, and it was a good moment for them to have on camera. But then to go down Media Street and have the, uh, the fake smiles and cheering champagne, come on, guys, just enjoy the engagement and uh, married life down the track. I'm surprised you didn't do one vote. I thought, um, you know, probably wasn't her greatest day with the whistle. So The umpires maybe. have had a couple of uh, bad weeks yeah. in general, I think. Uh, uh, the, what about even, the one in Essen, uh, Essen and Gold Coast? <laughs> I haven't game. even mentioned that. I guess we've all got fatigue of criticising that. score review. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I think that was a... We could do a score review podcast every week, I think. So um, We probably could. What more do you say? Well, what more hour. do you say except that why doesn't the AFL, whoever's in the box at that point, just say, actually, guys, bring it back. Just take the ball back to the middle. It was a clear goal. Well, I thought it was quite funny that Gill's just sitting in the stands on his phone. Mm, a bit probably, red-faced. Probably thinking, God, I hope Look the through Twitter. this. <laughs> and lucky they did. And lucky oh. lucky they didn't. Well, I mean, when Gold Coast went up very, very late in the game, with Imagine probably if they won by half, four points. Mm. Oh, geez, they would have been held. But the Bombers would have lost two games as a result of... Incorrect. Incorrect. Technically incorrect. Umpire, the, the post. Yeah. The Dane Rampey game. Very Postgate. interesting. Hey, uh, we are here for footytips.com.au where you can tip with family, friends, colleagues. Neil, we've had a look at a very interesting uh, trend or stat, and I'm fascinated by this. Does changing your tips at the last minute make it more or less likely that you'll get the tip right? Well, well let me ask ask the room. Do you guys ever change your tip last minute? You, you tip team A, and then for whatever reason, it's last minute, an hour before the game or whatever, and you go, oh, no, 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 I've got to change my tip. I certainly do. I did. I changed my tip from St. Kilda to the Mighty D's and they let me down. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. I changed my tip from Carlton to Adelaide and they also let me down. <laughs> Ouch. Christian, do you ever... Oh, I think everyone does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you, and you, you sit there on your, on your phone if you're using the Footy Tips app and your finger hovers over it, doesn't it? You're thinking, should I back my instincts for my original tip or is there a late change or a decision? Oh, no, I'm going to change my tip. So we tasked um, Dean, who's in charge of the Footy Tips database um, to to look at the percentage of original tips versus the tips that get changed and what the difference is so surely there's an advantage by changing your tip at the last minute so there's a six percent advantage in sticking with your original tip trusting yeah. your gut trusting your gut or trusting your first instinct so so and when then you just look at the tips or late don't changes, worry about the late changes that, that don't tells worry about me that we overanalyze or, or almost overrate how how important it is if a player doesn't play. It's like, oh, there's this player's not playing, so I should change my tip. And it's probably not going to make that much difference. And it also probably pays um, credit to do us involved with, or did, did the hardcore footy fans overanalyze every change in movement, whereas the, the more casual tipster goes, I think teams X, Y, and Z are going to win, and then they forget about it when they put their tips in, and they're, they're 6% more successful. Gee, it's not a bad shout. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of tipping... Do we have uh, certainties and upsets for the week? Yes, we certainly do. I, I've got an upset. I'm surprised that that Hawthorne are slight favourites over North. I think North have lost three in a row, but they're playing really good footy. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to uh, go for North in an upset over Hawthorne. At I Marvel think, Stadium, I think. At Marvel Stadium. Yeah. Um, I think they're just... I think North they're, is an upset. North is an upset. I think you'll find North's the, uh, the favourite in that uh, game. Have they come in? Have they, they come, come in, in in the last two hours, have they, since <laughs> I looked? 
Um, they are the favourite. Anyway, that's probably a toss of the coin game. Yeah, but I've is. got a really good feeling that we'll North, that, North will win that. <laughs> um, and an upset, please. Um, I have got... Um, who have I got as an upset? I've got... I think St Kilda can beat Adelaide. I think St Kilda... And the Brett, the Brett Ratton factor. I think they can. I think they can beat the Crows, who, are, who we discussed before. They're stumbling a bit. I agree with you. I think the Saints uh, under Ratton have scored 100 points in both games under Ratton, which is an important thing. Um, and I think that uh, the Crows are just at a point where, gee, their season's on the line. And but their season was also you know, been in on the, the balance the last three weeks, last week, and, and they couldn't get it done. So I would expect the Saints to give it a red hot crack on on Saturday night. That makes three of us. They were my upset as well. Hmm. Jacob, you got a different one for us. Different upset. Yeah, I think the Dogs. Um, or every chance to beat the Lions. We talk about season on the line. If they win this, then they're really in contention to finish in eighth at Adelaide's expense. Um, Brisbane obviously have been going great guns, looking for another win. But yeah, the Dogs, they're, they're the kind of team, they, they beat them earlier in the year, um, and they're the kind of team that might trouble them a bit, I reckon. It makes for a pretty interesting round 23 game if both teams are still in it, Western Bulldogs and Adelaide, because they meet in Ballarat. Ooh, that could be a cracker. Game um, of the season. Do you have a certainty for us? I do. I think we can't go past the Tigers. They're cruising, um, and the D's... Well, I'm pretty frustrated about the demons. <laughs> Kick the first three goals and lose. So you're not going to nah. change your tip. <laughs> just well, I'll no. <laughs> Christian, a certainty from you? Yeah, one of the teams flying under the radar a little bit at the moment. GWS. Um, yeah, a lot of talk on Richmond and how well they're going late in the season. I think keep an eye on GWS. Too. I reckon they can win the rest all all of their remaining games. Uh, I think in the, in the tipping toolkit I had, I had GWS winning all of their remaining games. Well, you said they were cooked a couple of weeks ago. I did not say that. I things don't know where you've got that from. Things change quickly. Um, I don't know whether I said that. <laughs> you might have said that. Um, and my certainty uh, to round it up is Essendon. I think they're playing some pretty damn good football and they'll beat Port Adelaide under the roof at Marvel Stadium because it just suits them a lot better. Uh, and Port are up and down, as we all know. Last time they were at Marvel, didn't they? Didn't Collingwood thrash them? Uh, you could be did. right if that is the last time they were at Marvel. <laughs> Hey, uh, before we do go, make sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Rate us five stars if you can, and we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.